You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple makers, great to be back here with you. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now, somewhere in the world today, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, great to have you back with us. And uh, got all kinds of things going on. We're very excited about what the Lord's doing in our little part of the world. And we hope that you're excited about what he's doing through your ministry in your part of the world. We uh, we have been talking from time to time about some discipleship principles or discipleship lessons or discipleship precepts from various books of the Bible. Now, we we talked, I think, last week about or a couple weeks ago about Proverbs. And my goodness, Proverbs covers so much stuff. Hard to do just five discipleship lessons out of Proverbs. But nonetheless, we tried. And today we're going to attack the next book in the canon, which is Discipleship Lessons from Ecclesiastes, which, if you know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, ought to be a little bit interesting. So, in fact, in fact one of my seminary professors actually stood in front of his class. And by the way, they he, this particular professor believed in inerrancy. He believed in the the inspiration of the word. And nonetheless, he stood in front of the class and says, I have no idea how this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, got into the canon. <laughs> so the, there's been a lot of doubt about this book. If you ever read it, you'll recognize this guy seems a little disappointed in his life. And indeed, I'm looking right now at the NIV Study Bible. One of the things they say is, apparently whoever wrote this, and I, I think it's a Solomon. I think most people think it's Solomon. There's some reason to think, well, maybe it's not Solomon, but I think it's probably Solomon. So with Solomon's life largely behind him, he's taking stock of his life. And he's very disappointed. As well, he should have been disappointed. Uh, he had some fine moments, and on the whole, he just used his wisdom and used his discernment for himself. And my goodness, while there's some things that we can say, thank God for what he did through Solomon, there's some things about Solomon's life and his choices that he made that were pretty pitiful. So at any rate, what we think Ecclesiastes is about is Solomon taking stock of his world, taking uh, taking measurement of his life, and being very disappointed with it. In fact, the NIV study Bible says, the world is seen as full of enigmas, the greatest of which is man himself. And I think really what we're saying there is, hey, the greatest enigma of all is Solomon himself. And so this is what it says. The book contains the philosophical and theological reflections of an old man, most of whose life was meaningless because he had not relied on God. And so there you go. So we're going to try to tackle some discipleship lessons from Ecclesiastes, as confused as this book seems to be, kind of an in and out thinking, wow, that was incredible. Then you think in the next line, what was that? Uh, we're going to try to deal with this. Uh, and so just come on and join us. I do want to tell you about a couple things first. I want you to check out our seminary. I've, I've worked at Wesley Biblical Seminary now for 36 years. I'm in my 37th year. We're having better times now than ever before. So check us out at wbs.com. 
edu. Lots of things we got going. You can be a part of the lay program. So if you're a layman out there, we've got a Bible Institute and a theological institute called the Wesley Institute. Uh, they both take about nine months apiece. We think you will love it. And seminary professors teach it from first to last. You will very much enjoy the Wesley Institute. Then we have an undergraduate uh, college, and we think that if you're interested in undergraduate studies, you're going to love what we offer at our college. So check out the college at Wesley Biblical Seminary. Again, check all this out at wbs.edu. Then we have master's programs, uh, and that's kind of the guts of what we do, uh, both MAs and Master's of Divinity. And again, we think you will love the reviews we get from all of our programs are just incredible. But we think you're going to love our master's programs. And then we have a doctorate program, a DMIN program, and think, again, it's one of the best things I think we do here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. So check us out for any of those programs. This is an institution that believes that God can sanctify us, make us entirely holy, and we think that the Word of God is inerrant. So check us out, wbs.edu. Now, let's go back to Ecclesiastes. Five quick discipleship lessons from Ecclesiastes. Number one, this book is powerful. Now, I just said, you know, one of my professors said, how in the world did it ever get into the canon? Now, let me just say, this book is powerful. It made it in the canon because God wanted it in the canon. That's how it made it in. You've got to look at it and sort of adjust your understanding. Uh, but nonetheless, it is powerful. And one of the reasons I know is not long ago, we were in this office and I'm now in my office at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We're in my office, and the, the president of our school, Matt Ayers, is sitting over there. And my son, uh, Elijah, was sitting in another chair. We were talking about Ecclesiastes. I said, man, that, that book is just like wild. And Matt Ayers said, I got converted reading the book of Ecclesiastes. I said, you did? What in the world? Why? How? He says, well, I was reading through it, and it hit me just at the right time of my life. He said, uh, I had just won some medals for swimming in, in, in junior high and high school. He was quite the swimmer, apparently. And I uh, just won some medals. And it so thrilled me that day. And the next day, it just seemed so empty. And I was discouraged. And I questioned my life. Then I read Ecclesiastes. And I thought, oh, my goodness, here it is. Solomon, or whoever wrote Ecclesiastes, had the same problem. He thought he had reached the heights, and yet the heights didn't satisfy because those heights were apart from God. So I'll just say, the first discipleship lesson from Ecclesiastes is this book is incredibly powerful. And it's going to meet some people, not all people, like any other book of the Bible, it's going to meet some people right where they're at in a way that's going to strike them between the eyes, and they will fall down to Jesus in the moment. I'm just suggesting this book is pretty powerful. That's number one, discipleship lesson. Number two is this word that comes up 35 times, 35 times in this book and only once elsewhere in the book of Job, interesting enough. It's the word hevel. Now, in the, um, in the Hebrew, if you translate it over to English, it would be H-E-B-E-L, and you pronounce the B with a V. So hevel. And the second discipleship lesson from Ecclesiastes is this. Hevel will be our testimony if... So let's just talk about Hevel just a minute. Hevel is a key word, comes up 35 times in this book, and the basic meaning of the word is empty or meaningless. 
but it's such a pregnant word. You, you can use all kinds of words with it. It was one of the basic words for breath. So in Hebrew, it originally meant breath. Now you can see that sometimes in uh, the Psalter. But the basic thrust of this word is breath that doesn't matter. In other words, uh, do you see that? There it is. That's my life. You can't see it. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's nothing there. Now, there's another word for breath in Scripture, which is ruach. And that's so often used for God. And it's the wind, the breath, the spirit of God. But this is not that word. Not at all. This breath, this hevel, this meaninglessness, this vanity is another word. Empty is another word. I was with uh, an Ecclesiastes scholar one time in an airport, and I said, I said, Dan, help me make sense of this book. Tell me about hevel. He says, well, one of the things about hevel that I started doing, and it, the book just kind of came together for me when I did it. He said, it's the meaning of temporary. In other words, it exists, but it doesn't exist for long. So Hevel can mean temporary, meaningless, hollow, futile, vain, useless. And basically what Solomon seems to be saying here is, that's my life. And you're thinking, wait a minute. Wasn't Solomon like the smartest guy in the world, the wisest guy in the world? Wasn't Solomon like a, the guy that was the richest guy in the world? And the answer to that is yes. And yet he found it all Hevel, meaningless, vapor, useless futile, vain. So there's got to be something else here. Hevel will be the testimony of our lives if we don't put God in the absolute center. You've got to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And without that, guess what? You're headed for Hevel. So, number one, this book is powerful. Number two, Hevel's going to be the testimony of your lives if you don't make a major adjustment. And number three, much of life has already been proven and disproven, so pay attention. In other words, everybody has to learn lessons in life. And some are just won by the school of hard knocks. But some of these lessons you can read about in the Bible. And you don't have to relearn them necessarily. You can look at them in the Bible and say, you know, all things being equal, I don't think I'll do that. So let me suggest this to you. And I'll suggest it to you in the way of a story. When I was at the University of Kansas, I was, uh, I was a social member of a, uh, a fraternity there. And this particular fraternity um, at that time uh, used me for a number of reasons. I was an athlete, so they used me for wrestling competitions and boxing competitions, and I could sing a little bit, so I was in their major musical, and it was fun, and I was very involved. I was a social member, didn't live in the house, but nonetheless, very much a, a member and enjoyed my time there. Having said that, uh, at the end of my senior year, we had actually kicked out our house mother. Now, I didn't do it. It didn't have any part of it, but uh, we had kicked out Ma Brown. And Ma Brown, basically, the, the, the reason for Ma Brown or any other house mother is when they are in your presence, you're supposed to act like a gentleman. So it's important for the fraternity mother to get around as much as possible because when she's around, everybody's supposed to act like a gentleman. Well, we kicked her out. They didn't like her. They said, hey, there's the door. We don't want you around anymore. So she left. And so we're going to have our senior dinner now without our mother, without our house mother. 
And so my friend Marty and I, we sit down and we're, uh, you know, eating. And by the way, it's very nice china and crystal and and silver and and there's some wine. I'm not drinking the wine, but none of there's wine there. And I mean, things are flowing and things seem to be very nice, very appropriate. The whole point of the senior uh, wrap up is we're going to eat together. Then we're going to have senior testimonies. And I'm there to give a testimony. I'm going to give a little five minute talk uh, about what the the fraternity had meant to me. So we're eating and all of a sudden I see something out of the corner of my eye. I look up. I say, what was that? And Marty says, what? He didn't see it. So pretty soon he saw something. I said, what was that? And I didn't see it. And pretty soon we recognize that the things that are flying are food off of plates. And we're about ready to enter into a raucous food fight at this fraternity. Marty looks over at me and says, if you're going to give your senior speech, I'd give it now. I don't think there's going to be opportunity to later. So <laughs> I said, all right. So I got up there now. I was known as Mr. God Squad there. Everybody kind of respected me. They knew I was going into the ministry. They So they they kind of, you know, when I got up, I had the effect of a house mother in that moment. I got behind the podium and everybody just sort of settled down. Oh, freedom is going to talk. So let, let's chill out for a few minutes here. So everybody settled down. And I started in saying, guys, once there was a man in the Bible named Solomon. And he had a testimony. And his testimony went like this. And I went to the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. One day, Solomon looks in the mirror and says, come now, I'm going to test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. I'm going to find out what's good, so enjoy yourself. And so he did it. And in verse 4, it talks all about it. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, vineyards, gardens, parks, fruit trees. I had reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. I had male and female slaves, I added herds, I had flocks, I had silver, I had gold. I had the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. I had a harem as well. The delights of the hearts of man. I denied myself nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure. So I looked out at the guys. I said, guys, we are basically from Kansas City and Wichita. So most of our guys were from either KC or, or Wichita. I said, and maybe 40 years from now, you're going to look up and you're going to be the president or the vice president of your company. Your dad's going to have set you up well. You're going to be rich, probably a millionaire. You have married a very pretty girl that came from the University of Kansas. You're going to go to your mirror, look out across your driveway down from the uh, window of your bathroom on the second floor there, and you're going to see a couple of really fancy cars out in your driveway. And you're going to look back in the mirror in that moment, and you're going to say the words that Solomon said when he started thinking about all these incredible things that he had gathered together for himself. I denied myself nothing, he said. I refused my heart no pleasure. You're going to say four words, perhaps the same words he said. So, I hated life. The work that is done on the sun is grievous to me, and everything is hevel, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun. I said, gentlemen, when you find yourself looking in the mirror and saying that kind of thing, reach out to Jesus. He'll be real for you in that moment. I guarantee it. So, I moved away from uh, the podium, started to get back into my seat next to Marty. 
But while I was walking towards my seat, they did something I hadn't anticipated. And that is, they gave me an ovation. They clapped at that message. I sat down. And Marty said, wow, that was great. I said, thanks, Marty. And then I saw something out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> it was, it was a, a piece of food flying across the room. And I said, let's get out of here. And Marty said, yeah, let's get out of here. And so we left. Whole point, guys, is this. Much of life has already been proven and disproven. The thesis, I think, the, the, the hypothesis, excuse me, the hypothesis that Solomon wanted to see is, can trivial pursuit, the pursuit of great projects, vineyards, houses, gardens, parks, herds, flocks, silver, gold, treasure, women, a harem, can these things satisfy? The hypothesis is, the meaning of life is found in the pursuit of my heart's desire. And in verse 17, 217, the hypothesis is disproven. So I hated life. And everybody in our congregations, everybody in our discipleship groups, everybody ought to know that is something, that is a hypothesis that's already been disproven. We don't have to repeat it. Number one, this book is powerful. Number two, Hevel will be the testimony of our lives if we don't make a major God adjustment. Number three, much of life has already been proven and disproven. Pay attention. And then number four, discipleship lesson of Ecclesiastes. Let me go to the very end of the book. And the second, uh, well, it's, it's like the last paragraph. I'll read the first part of the last paragraph. It is key to the book, maybe. All right. Key to the book, maybe. Uh, chapter 12, verse 13 says this. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. To which I think we would say, yeah, amen. So I'm going to say, there's the key to the book, y'all. What we're supposed to be all about our lives is fearing him, revering him, worshiping him, and making sure we're doing what he wants us to do. We're fulfilling his will for us in our lives. But I'm going to quickly move to the fifth point. What should Solomon have asked for? Do you remember this story out of the Old Testament? At one point, God said, what do you want, Solomon? I'll give you anything you ask for. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm quite sure I would not have been as good as Solomon in that moment. I would be thinking in terms of dollar amounts. I would be thinking in terms of something other than what Solomon said, which he said, give me wisdom or give me discernment. That's what I want. God was so pleased with that answer that he, he gave him a whole bunch of other things besides that. Like wealth, he didn't ask for billions of dollars, so God gave him billions of dollars. He didn't ask for all these other things that he could have asked for. God said, I'm going to bless you with that too. But I asked a, I asked a friend of mine one time, he's a theologian and he's a brilliant guy. I said, what should Solomon have asked for? Did he ask for the wrong thing? Because things went terribly awry. What should he have asked for? And my friend said, probably his presence. Solomon, instead of discernment, instead of wisdom, should have said, I just want you, oh Yahweh, the personal name for God. 
I just want you, Yahweh. Now, I thought about that a lot since then. What should Solomon have asked for? I'm going to tell you what I think, because I think this was settled in the hearts and minds of most people by the time of Jesus. What's the greatest thing out of the Old Testament? And when asked that question, this is the greatest thing. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and a second is like unto it. Another command is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. What should Solomon have asked for? Discernment, wisdom, or should he have asked for the capacity to love God with all, 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 and love neighbor as self all the rest of my life till the day I die? Please, Jesus. Please, Yahweh. So, y'all, I know that's what we're supposed to be asking for. Don't, don't, don't just ask him for the stuff of trivial pursuits. Don't ask him for anything less than himself. And maybe even more than that, ask him that I might love that presence with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love, love my neighbor as I love myself. If that could happen in a life, what a powerful, powerful life that would be. All right. So it's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedemann. Hey, go to Amazon. Check out our books there. we got lots of books, especially these days, the Doctrine of Good Works book. And remember this. I've got a sub stack out there right now. Go check out that sub stack. Going to have a bunch of our writing. Try to put up something once every week. I think you'll find it interesting. And by the way, my podcasts are there as well. And always, always tell others about this podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast today. Love God. Live clean. Keep the faith. Make disciples. And God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Mm -hmm.